Before I have you stand, uh, we're taking a look at um, Lazarus, and um, he's about ready to be resurrected. There are only three people that uh, Jesus brought back from the dead. One was Jairus' daughter, the other was the widow Nain's only son, and then we're going to see here with Lazarus, going to raise him from the dead. Now, for those of you wondering, theologically speaking, how this happens, of course, Christ's death on the cross is a center theme of all of history. Saints or people of faith uh, looked forward to a point in time prior to Christ's resurrection, and by faith were trusting that the Savior of the world would come, the Messiah would come, and they had substitutionary uh, animals that would represent the coming Messiah, and they would trust by faith of that, that moment in time. Then at the resurrection, we as Christians, uh, saints, we look back to this point in time of the resurrection of Christ, but we're all saved by, by grace through faith. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And we're saved by the sinless blood of God as a propitiation. It pays the penalty for our sins, past, present, and future. <clears throat> and we receive that by faith. Well, of course, Christ hasn't been crucified yet. So when Lazarus dies, or when the widow Nain's son dies, or Jarius' daughter dies, where do they go? Uh, the idea is there's a thing that, that, that you would look at in Scripture called Abraham's bosom, which is kind of a holding place for the righteous um, until the resurrection. Now, it isn't heaven, but it is, it's pretty epic, right? It, I mean, it's an amazing place. It's, I won't do that again. There, it's, a, <clears throat> it's an amazing place, very similar to heaven. And uh, all three of these, the widow Nain's son, Jarius' daughter, and Lazarus himself, it's almost like a recall. Uh, they're, they're there, they're thrilled, they're, uh, the, the sickness is gone, the disease is gone. Uh, they've, they're, they're seeing colors like they've never seen them before. They're experiencing sounds as though they've never heard them before. Every, all the pistons are firing. They're, they're known as they've been wanted to be known, and they're, they're knowing the Lord as they've never known him before. And it's just fascinating. And all of a sudden, you know, Abraham comes in and says, you know... Uh, Um, there's a recall, you got to go back. And uh, so that's why there's limited resurrections that you see. Um, And in this case, this is a resurrection that he would prepare uh, all of these folks for the the resurrection of Christ himself. And so he's using Lazarus as this opportunity to minister. We know that it's a family, uh, two sisters and a brother. We're going to find out later in John 11 that it's uh, Simon the leper's home where they reside, which means that quite possibly uh, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, who are all of the same family, two sisters and a brother, that their father probably had leprosy and had died. Um, that, that's, that's how that home is termed. We're going to see that later in, in John 11. We don't know a lot about the family. We know that they, they had money uh, because they have a, a tomb which was hewn out of stone and only the wealthy would have that. We don't know a lot about them. We don't hear much from Lazarus at all. Uh, we do hear from Mary and Martha. Anytime Jesus was in the area, he would, he would stay at their home. He was deeply acquainted with them. He knew them well. And we saw in the previous passage that we studied that Mary and Martha had come to Jesus and said, our brother's sick. And please come. Now, it had taken them quite some time to get to where Jesus was. And now four days has passed. Uh, Jesus even said in the passage that we studied last week that he took his time. He waited. The likelihood is he, that Lazarus was already dead before Mary and Martha had gotten to him. 
And he wanted to increase the faith of those who were there and to understand the power of the resurrection, that Christ has the power over life and death. Now, before we stand for the reading of the word of the Lord, I want to share with you, for those of you who are new to the Christian faith, maybe the first time you've stepped foot in a church, uh, those of you who maybe have been Christians for a while but don't completely comprehend, um, it's been said, and I like this statement, that if you're born once, you'll die twice. But if you're born twice, you'll die once. And what that means is, if you're born once, born a physical birth, uh, you'll die twice, meaning that you'll have a physical death and then you'll have a spiritual death, which is separation from God for all eternity. That is what is known as hell. Everything that, that, that God isn't, hell is. And everything that, that God isn't, hell is. It's, it's, it's awful. God is the author of life. He's, he's love, the embodiment of love. Hell is the, uh, the antithesis, the opposite of that. The wages of sin is death. Sin is missing the mark of perfection. We've been created in the image of God. We're the only creature in all of God's creation that has the ability to love. For love to exist, there has to be a choice. Uh, Mankind was given a choice in the Garden of Eden. It was completely without sin. It was perfection. It was heaven on earth. But for love to exist, there had to be a choice. So there was a tree in the Garden of Eden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And the Lord said, eating of this tree, dying you will surely die. It would be, be current and progressive. And the idea is, this is your exit from God's presence. You can choose to leave. Love is a choice. I don't remain with my wife because I wear a wedding ring or I said some words in front of a uh, a minister. I I love my wife. It's a choice. And and same with my wife to me. And, And so God gives his creation this ability to love. We're the only creatures in all of creation that have the ability to love. Well, with love comes the ability to not love. And so man had the opportunity to leave God's presence. And it's usually done by selfishness. Love, interestingly enough, in the Christian concept is to lay your life down, to serve one another. Greater love has no man than this and to lay down his life for a friend. We look at love in our culture today as what can we get from the other person. I love them because they make me feel good. I love them because they make me happy. No, that's not the Christian idea. The idea is I love them in spite of what they do or don't do. I love them because God has given me this love. Uh, We love God not because he first loved us. Not that we love God, but that he first loved us. It's an idea of sacrificial, laying your life down. Agape love is loving in spite of our fallen nature and our sinful lives. And so this idea of self-sacrifice, laying your life down for another human being, is, is uh, alien. It's foreign to the sinful mind. We want someone to give to us as opposed to, uh, Rowan, c- keep it down, buddy. It's a little irritating. It's a brand new baby in the fellowship. Let's give it up for him. because he, he's... <clears throat> And so to lay our life down sacrificially, Christ... Um, did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for the many. So with this idea of love, we have a choice to leave. And God chose to leave the presence, or man chose to leave the presence of God. And that brought in sin. Sin, when fully formed, produces death. And now the world has been riddled and affected by death. Death. Everyone has a future of death awaiting you. It's a 100% chance that you're all going to die. You'll die of the last disease you had. (laughs) There you go. And so with this idea of death, having affected mankind, all of us will die. We now look and we say, we we uh, comprehend or we contemplate 
our mortality. We come face to face with it. I've often said that nobody listens to me when I'm in a wedding as a minister, including the bride and groom. They're just looking at each other like, ah, let's go. <laughs> but yet nobody's really listening to the minister in a wedding. But in a, fun- in a funeral, everyone listens, even the ones who pretend they're not listening. The ones that pretend like they're falling asleep or just irritated, they're the ones that are listening the most. You throw a rock into a pack of dogs, the one that barks the loudest is the one that got hit. Usually if they're upset, that's, that's, a, that's a, a sign that they've, they've heard it. It's hit them. And so as, as we contemplate our mortality and we're faced with this idea of death, this is one way that mankind begins to listen. And so here we see um, in the text coming face to face with death. The wages of sin is death. Now, before I have you stand, I want to read just two verses, and then I'll have you stand in a moment. First Thessalonians chapter 4, this is an idea of death. It says, But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others that have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring him those who sleep in Jesus. Now, remember I said if you're born twice, you'll only die once. You're born a physical birth, but if you're born a spiritual birth, you must be born again. We saw that in John chapter 3, where the trichotomy of man, body, soul, and spirit, the spirit departed when we sinned. When we receive Christ by faith, we become a full human being again, where the spirit of God takes up residency in our life, dictates to our psyche what our soma, our body, will do. So we are now a completed human being, uh, spirit mind and body all in order operating the way god intended us to operate we're born again born of the spirit you're born twice you only die once and that death is a a physical death where the scripture as we just read even in that sense christians don't die we fall asleep and awaken in the presence of the lord and and that's it now i sat through a county supervisor's meeting uh that i was asked to come to because they were putting forward this uh physician assisted suicide and they wanted to take uh our county money to lobby in sacramento on behalf of physician assisted suicide well for those that have no hope beyond the grave death is the last portal um for them before they get on the Starship Enterprise and uh, go wherever. I don't know. I don't know. I make light of it, but, but people have weird concepts about the afterlife. And so if death is that last portal, they want to remove every pain imaginable so that you don't have to endure the pain. And for Christians, there, there is almost a sanctity. There's almost a strength in, in pain. There's a nobility in death. My mother, when she was dying, she held on so that she could, she could forgive people who were coming to be by her bedside. She endured the pain of lung cancers so as to impart to them forgiveness. Um, the nobility of death that, that men and women would die in the service of our country. Uh, those that, that stormed the beaches of Normandy so that, that fascism wouldn't take hold of the world. And they never had a chance to marry and have children and experience a future, but they secured yours. There was a nobility in that death, laying your life down to serve others. Well, if you remove God from the equation, then man is the center of the universe, and our desire is that it all revolves around us. And so it doesn't matter if, if, if death is to, for the elderly there to be protected. As a minister, I've been by the bedside of many who have passed, and I tell you, it's the most critical point, especially for the elderly and feeble. It's where people take the greatest advantage. Uh, and, and, and in the laws in Oregon and, and other places where they're contemplating physician-assisted suicide, 
This is, you just have to have a physician and maybe a, a health worker. And if they're in agreement, then, then they can make that decision. You can, you, you can have heirs of the estate that are pushing doctors to make that decision. And so here, I was looking as a county supervisor was in defense of, of the elderly and standing in opposition to physician-assisted suicide. And, and the ones that were vehemently opposed to, to this supervisor, they were visceral and angry. And, and, and the reality is this supervisor was defending the ones who hated him because they're the ones who are probably going to die alone and people will be arguing over their estate and protecting them in those final hours of their life. It's a critical time. But people are afraid of death. For a Christian, I have no fear of death. Death, death is irrelevant to me. I'm immortal until God's finished with me. For some of you, you're scared of death. It's, it's, it's the great unknown. I want to give you today a freedom to, to have that fear lifted. There's, there's nothing like having no fear in relation to that. And then finally, 1 Corinthians 15, Apostle Paul writes again, he says, Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Our bodies are corrupted by sin. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? Hell, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin. The sting of death is sin. And the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. The wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. You're under the spirit, you're under the law of sin and death. You're under the law of sin and death, like we're under the law of gravity. We're bound by gravity. But there's a greater law that can overcome the law of gravity. That's the law of inertia and lift as we operate with planes that can come off the ground. Well, there is a greater law than the law of sin and death, which we're all bound by. It's called the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. Christ has come to do away with death. And he is the resurrection and the life. And he has the ability to transform your future of of a second death, which is hell, into eternal life. But you must receive it by faith. God has the ability over sin and disease. Michael's right here, stage three cancer, right, Michael? prayer and is there any cancer today is scott berman with us scott is cancer still around uh, it is. and we're doing well, we're doing well. And, and the reality is with the cancer he had been given a death sentence how long were they given to live months, months. we're way past that Amen. this is the power of god over sin and disease and also death but we're going to see here where we come up face to face with a trial and we're not sure that we can overcome it But we'll see here in the passage that we can. Let's stand for the reading of the word of the Lord, John 11. John chapter 11, starting in verse 17. We left off last week at 16. We'll pick up at verse 17. So when Jesus came, he found that he had already been in the tomb four days, meaning Lazarus. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles away, and many of the Jews had joined the women around Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. Now Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him. 
But Mary was sitting in the house, and now Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would, have, would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you, listen, it's not just a question for Martha. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the son of God, who is to come into the world. And when she had said these things, she went her way and secretly called Mary, her sister, saying, the teacher has come and is calling for you. As soon as she heard that, she arose quickly and came to Jesus. Now Jesus had not yet come into the town, but was in the place where Martha met him. Then the Jews were with her in the house and comforting her. And when they saw that Mary rose up quickly and went out, they followed her saying, she's going to the tomb to weep there. Then when Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Therefore, when Jesus saw her weeping, And the Jews who came with her weeping, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. The idea of troubled, he was angry. The the word for for groaning is like the sound a horse makes when it snorts. I'll try to describe it a little more later. And he said to them, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. Shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. Now, we're not going to go into the resurrection of of Lazarus quite yet, but we're going to take a look at these portions of the text. Lord, we ask your blessing on the study of your word. I pray, God, for those who fear death and those who are mourning and those who are struggling. Lord, I, I think of Ginger, the loss of her best friend, Richard. All these years of marriage, a good man and her heart broken. And God, how we long that you would bring comfort to her and to her family. Lord, I think about how painful death is and what it does to this world. But you've come that we might have life and life more abundant. Lord, I pray that today hope would be established in every heart through the reading of this text. Spirit of living God, speak life into this room. Touch hearts. And we pray your blessing now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, please be seated. Death is no stronger in the presence of the Lord than disease is. But they didn't realize this as they, they started to see death. Death to, to the world is almost, it's final. We, we can't comprehend overcoming death. Uh, we, we receive eternal life by faith, but we can't comprehend overcoming death. And there are folks that have been miraculously healed. Some have been brought back to life. But, but for, the, for the majority of us, we struggle with this concept that anyone can overcome death. They almost, as, as we do, would perceive death as unconquerable, overwhelming. Uh, with disease, men may grapple. As Scott and Michael with, with cancer, they're grappling with this disease and they fight it and, and oftentimes can overcome it. And we grapple with disease because we feel as though we have a chance, but not with death. In the presence of death, men become helpless become helpless. I was thinking too that there's never, there's never enough proof where there's no faith. There's never enough proof where there's no faith. 
I can, I can give you miracle after miracle after miracle. I can have Michael sh- share. I can have Scott share. I can have others share. And, and that won't move you to receive Christ. This is an issue of the heart. Do you love sin more than you love the Lord? Do you agape sin more than you love agape the Lord? It, our deeds are evil and we love sin more than we love the Lord. It's not that there's not enough proof. It's the condition of our life. And, and the problem is with death, death is a result of the sin that we so love. Death is a result of the sin that we so love. I'll explain to you what I mean. James chapter one. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted. Each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and is enticed. Then when the desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death, brings forth death, brings forth death. Not just physical death, death to your relationships, death to your friends, death to your business, death to your home. It's that sin. It's the sin you so love that that the secret world you have here and the public world you have here, you try to keep them separate, but they they have this unbelievable ability to intertwine. And then all your secrets are revealed and then death enters into every vestige because the sin has taken over. It's a disease that just spreads. And that disease, that sin, when, when conceived and fully formed, brings forth death, death, death. Death is, is incorporated into a world by ideas, ideas that are opposite of what God desires. There's, there's God's way and there's man's way. There's, there's, there's man submitted to God, and then there's man rejecting God. This creates a philosophy, and this creates a philosophy. This philosophy produces life. This produces death. Governments designed by the absence of God, where God doesn't exist, we have been, we, we, we came into the world through uh, some primordial soup, through cosmic accident there's no beginning there's no creator there's no accountability then these ideas formulate themselves into governments these governments are then established on the earth and we look at these governments that are man-centered instead of god-centered and what do they bring forth death uh, soviet union uh, communist china uh, cambodia how many have died in the removal of god from the system where it is now a man-centered system it's produced death billions 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 have died Billions. Fascism. Billions. You remove God from the equation, those philosophies produce death. But I've come that they might have life. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights. This is a nation conceived in the idea that we're accountable to God. Not many nations on the face of the earth. We represent 3% of the world's population, yet we are responsible for more patents, more inventions, more wealth than any other nation. All nations in the world combined don't equal what America's done in its short 239 years on this earth. All simply because we would look at this idea that we're accountable to, to God, endowed by our creator, that rights don't come from man, they come from God. And in this, this idea, in this philosophy, it brings forth life. We're a nation that protects life. I was thinking of uh, Lawrence Sunderland, his, his daughter. 
And, and when, when she was um, trying to sail around the world and, and her mast was broken and she was between uh, Africa and Australia and the Indian Ocean, they sent all kinds of planes to go find and protect this life. When baby Jessica fell, fell down the tube when I was younger, I remember she fell down this tube in Texas. Everyone came out of the woodwork to protect this life. We, we protect the, 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 the shipping lanes. Uh, our, our United States Navy protects the shipping lanes. If, if anyone on the face of the earth is under danger, they call for the men and women of the armed forces of the United States of America to come and deliver them because we're a nation of life, because we're accountable to God and it produces life. But when we remove that and we remove God from the equation, we remove God from the existence and all of that has changed, we become a nation of death. Physician-assisted suicide, abortion. We start with the ends of the spectrum and we bring it in. We don't protect life, we destroy it. And this is this, is this idea, this is that contrast. James says it brings forth death. But then you look at John chapter 10 as it's preparing for John 11 and Jesus says the thief does not come except to steal. He wants to take that life and he comes to kill and to destroy. And then Jesus says, I've come that they may have life and that, that, that they may have it more abundantly. Now on the onset, these, these machinations of man and these ideas of man seem as though they're good ideas. That we're all equal. We're all equal, some more equal than others, but we're all equal. And, and, and we, we take from you to give to you, forgetting the idea that the Ten Commandments, if you honor God, you're going to be blessed, there will be abundance, and the commandments were designed to protect private wealth and public wealth, uh, to protect wealth, and, and all these things are a result of honoring God's commandments, and abundance comes and we create wealth. Wealth to be created, two people have to benefit, industries are created, jobs are created, but when government is centered on man and God is removed, we think that if we equal it out, and I take from you and give to you, and we all have equal... And that seems on the surface, and that's why in schools, communism flourishes. And it seems like a good idea, but as Proverbs 14 says, there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. I don't like you taking what I've earned to give to somebody else. Too bad, guillotine. I don't like you saying that I can't teach my children about the Lord. Too bad, you go to jail. I don't like that you would say that what I do is sin. I'm in power. I'm going to shut you down. The end therein is death. These are concepts, philosophies that govern mankind. And Jesus is saying right here to an entire crowd, I want to share with you the power of the life that I promise. He says in in verse 17, when Jesus came, he found that he had already been in the tomb four days. Four days. As a sheriff's chaplain, I got a tour of, of, the, of the morgue. And I also got a chance to go and see the, cor- the coroner's office. And, and is with me, I love to always ask people in, in certain professions, tell me, tell me the coolest stories. I mean, I mean, give me one that's just going to gag a maggot. I mean, give me a story that will just turn me. Just come on. And he had a few doozies that were like, oh, oh man, I didn't expect that coming. <laughs> And there are some juicy ones, just. And I'm going to share a few right now. No, I'm kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm not going to do that. But it's awful. 
And, and one of the things, they gave the progression of what happens to the human body. And at four days, the eyes have dissolved, sunken into the skull. The organs have all dissipated. The fluids begin to break down and separate. The body on the, on the top portion looks yellow. The bottom is a, a dark purple-blue bruising. The organs have completely just... And it's just fluid, bile. The stench is... I, I, you, you, you can never get rid of the stench. Never. You walk into the corners, it's awful. You just know the smell of death. It's, it, it just doesn't go away. You can't wash it out. It's just awful. In four days, he is rotten. He's rotten. I don't know how to describe to you how rotten he is. <laughs> The, the sisters would say, he stinketh. I remember, I'll give you a story. I was a lifeguard. And uh, it was in the winter, it was in February. There had been some storms. And the Tijuana River overflows down San Diego. And some folks had been taken out in these shanties that were along the Tijuana River. And uh, they, would, they would flow in the direction of Coronado. And we had gotten a call that there was a body that was in the rocks in front of the Hotel Dell and had to be fished out. We got down there, the coroner was there, and they needed some lifeguards to go out and grab the body. We put on the long rubber gloves, and as we started to approach, you could see the body. I won't describe who or what, but I just, I remember before I'd even put my feet in the water, and there was probably another 75 yards, 50 to 75 yards from me to the the corpse, the stench was turning my stomach. It was, it, oh, and, and, and then to grab the body. Uh, I'll give you, I'll give you a description. It was like touching, it was like wet bread. I don't know, it's kind of a funky feel to it. And what death does to the human body and the distortion. And, and here, four days has passed and, and there is, there's no hope that this man is dead, dead and rotting. It's still two miles from Bethany to Jerusalem, and he is heading in that direction. And the Jews come and join the women who are mourning. There's Mary and Martha, and they're comforting them concerning their brother. They didn't have to pay for mourners. They love this man. They love these women. The town was named after, after the, one of the sisters, and, and they, they love them. And Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met with him. Now, she could have been angry. When she said, had you, had you only been here, he wouldn't have died. How many times do you think they had said that to each other in the course of the conversations in their home? If he'd only been here, if he'd only been here, he wouldn't have died. If he'd only been here. It was so rehearsed and so repeated that the minute that Jesus arrived, she repeats it again, as does Mary. Mary and Martha both repeat it. Very first thing that they say to him when he comes. But what's so touching is that the minute that Martha hears that Jesus is coming to down, she's not embittered and angry. See, for some of us, we have expectations of God. And when he doesn't meet our expectations, we quit on him. You didn't do what I needed you to do, and I'm finished with you. Martha, I mean, all Jesus had to do was be there. She'd rehearsed it in her mind. Had he only been here, he wouldn't have died. Had he only been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Jesus loved my brother. Why didn't he come? Where is he? And it's not like she hears that Jesus is coming. She goes, I'm done with him. I don't need church. I don't need this Christianity garbage anymore. I've tried the whole religion gimmick. 
Somewhere along the line, you got hurt. I think of Ted Turner at CNN. I think of Flynn at uh, the Hustler magazine. Somewhere along the line, these men, I think it was uh, Ted Turner's brother died. And he had prayed to God to heal him and his brother died. And that, that was it. Ted Turner was finished with God. I, I, you, didn't, you didn't dance by my tune. I'm finished with you. Not understanding or comprehending how enormous the universe is, how little we are, and we're just a cog in the wheel. We're, we're nothing in the expanse of the universe that God holds in the span of his hand. And, and he's supposed to do our beckoning and our bidding, and, and we're telling God what to do. And, and when we say dance, he's supposed to dance. And if he doesn't do it by our bidding, that's still a man-centered world. You're telling God what to do. Now, he is an all-loving God. He's an all-knowing God. He's, he's a compassionate, patient, long-suffering he would want that none would perish and all would be saved. This is God. These are all of his characteristics. These are all, this is all of who he is, encompasses himself to be. But the minute that he doesn't do what we want him to do or doesn't live within our comprehension or understanding, even though our mindset is minimal and we're a temporal creature trying to accuse and stand in judgment of an eternal God, and yet this is Martha. Her heart's broken. God did not do what she thought she, he needed her, him to do. But here's what's fascinating. Is, is he's coming into town. She hasn't quit. She runs out to meet him. She runs out to meet him. And, and she heard that Jesus was coming and she went and met him. But Mary, she was sitting in the house. She's sitting in the house and she's just trying to put it all together. She's probably cleaned everything. She's already organized everything. She's, she's dealing with her trauma and her struggle. She's just, she cleans. That's what she does. Well, this is going to have to be washed again. And this is going to have to be, oh. And anytime she's struggling, she cleans. Anytime her heart's broken, she cleans. Anytime that there's an argument in the house, she goes and cleans. Anybody like that in the room? I don't know. I just um, I, I grew up with one. <laughs> My mother is just vacuum the house and the lines in the living room. Don't walk through there. I just vacuumed. And if you messed up those lines, you had to fly from room to room. Just to avoid the... And she was sitting in the house and Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, this is her first words, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. What do you have to tell God? What, what are you upset about? I don't want to minimize it, but what, what, what is this mantra that you've been reciting ever since you had this war with God that you're losing? What is it? Lord, where were you? when I was a little boy. Lord, where were you that night? Lord, why'd you let my mom die? Why didn't my daddy come home? What is it? Because we all have it. There's plenty of it. It's called trauma and it's called sin in a fallen world and we've all been affected by it. We've perpetrated and we've been hurt. And, and, and what's the line that you've been rehearsing? Where were you, God? Where were you? We all have the line. God, where were you? If, Lord, if you had... You were asleep at the wheel. I love Jesus loves me, this I know for the Bible. I love those little songs I loved when I was a child. I loved hearing about your name. I loved all the stories. But when it came time to really make it matter, where were you? 
Where were you? If you had only been there. Now, some people just, that's it. To hell with God. That's, that's some people's feelings. They quit. And it doesn't work out real well. Doesn't take long to realize a life apart from God is death. You can't manage it. It's empty. It's strange what happens when you turn 50. It, it, it's like the, the back half. All the dreams and the aspirations when you're young and the world just isn't big enough. And, and, and then you get to that back half and you, you look and you say, what's all the hype? Why, why was I so impressed? What, what? What? Do you realize how stupid it is what you're doing and what you think is important? Do you realize this, kids? No, you don't understand. And I, and, I, and I look at the pattern. I look at the pattern. This, this music was the best. I wanted to say epic, but I didn't. This music was the best. And, and, and this, and I had, to, I had to own that. And this, this is so, and you, you, you get to this age, and you look back on what was so important then, and the kids today are resurrecting what you thought was, and they're thinking it's cool, and you're looking going, it's stupid, and they're, they're tired of what they have, so they're resurrecting your trash, and, and, and they think it's so wonderful, and, and you're looking, and you're saying, you have no clue. You're impressed with something that is fading and stupid. And, and you're, you're just moved by it. And it's so quick, it just picks up speed. And you're looking, and, and the tombstone is getting into sight, and it's rapidly coming at you like a wall in a speeding car. Well, let's pray. No, I'm just... <laughs> and you, you, you get to this place, and, and it just, what, what matters anymore? What's the point? You thought it was so important. You get to a stage in life, and I, I imagine for some who don't know the Lord, and you get to my age, it must be so hard to remain alive. There isn't enough antidepressants on the planet to make you feel better. It's awful. And, and yet, here at 50 is, for me, one of the most exciting times. Because now it's, it's all, it all makes sense. It's in perspective. Eternity is awaiting. This is, this, this, was, this is what it's all about. I'm now making plans. I want to establish for my children and my grandchildren. I, I want to finish well. I, I want people to know about the Lord. I, I, I want my life to count. I want to leave a legacy that people will come to Christ. I, I, I want all of that to matter. Accumulation of wealth, some sort of name on a building, irrelevant. Absolutely irrelevant. I want to leave for my children a faith that is unwavering. I want to do everything I can so that when this world starts imploding, 
They will have a firm foundation upon which to stand regardless of the waves that will come at them. And I want them to see in my life that that's what matters. And here, as, as everything is coming into perspective and Mary and Martha are struggling and they're, 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 they're dealing with this loss. And I want my children to look at me when you're just kicked in the gut by life. Boom! And all the wind is knocked out of you. And your mother's dead. And your dad's got Alzheimer's. And, and it's just bad. And they look and they say, are you okay? Yes. Mom knew the Lord. Dad's fine. He's going to... It's all good. It's all good. I look at people who... You know, I, I've only got months to live. Do you know the Lord? Yes. Oh, man. You got an e-ticket. No, you don't understand it. I do. You don't. But I, 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 I've got, and I understand I want to be at my daughter's wedding. I get all that. I, I know you want to impart to the next generation. That I get. But if it's like, I, 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 you, I, just, I, just, I just refinanced all of the buildings and the money's going to just really start rolling in. So what? How shallow. And, and, and at this moment, Lord, if he had been there, my brother would not have died. But then she says, but, and I love this. She says, but even now, I know that whatever you ask, of God, God will give you. Lord, I know you're God, and I know that if I ask you, give it to me. I, I, she's reaffirming her faith. Lord, I ran to you. It doesn't make any sense. I got kicked in the gut. I know that if you'd been there, he would have lived. But even still, Lord, I still trust you. The Lord giveth, and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I don't understand you, but I trust you. Can you say that? Because I got news for you. It will be tested. There are days where you are just angry with him. Have a little, uh, take it out with him. Do you know? He's okay with that. Let him know. But when he gives you the answer, settle down. <laughs> and Jesus turns to her in the midst of her profession of faith and, and he says to her, your brother will rise again. And they can, they can smell the stench from the tomb. Your brother will rise again. Sometimes people think that's trite. Romans 8, 28. All things work together for good with those who love the Lord and are called according to their purpose. Oh, that's so trite. No, it isn't. None of you've trusted it. Your brother will rise again. I know, I know, I know. In the twinkling of an eye, we're all going to be taken up in the sound of a trumpet. I know the dead in Christ will rise first. I, know, I got all that. Blah, 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 blah. But he's not here. And I'm hurting. I know. But Jesus repeats and responds and says, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection of the last day. I know that, Lord. And, and, and she, she wasn't a Sadducee. She trusted that there would be a resurrection. The Sadducees were livid. And, and, and they're going to put a hit out on Lazarus after he rises from the dead. Here he's risen from the dead. They're going to try to kill him. Uh, because the, this resurrection thing is awful. They, they, they're struggling with that. It ruins their theology. And they're going to do whatever they can to silence that. And, and so she says, I know he's going to rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus said to her, look, at, you're talking about the resurrection. You're looking at the resurrection. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. I'm the author and the sustainer of life. 
You're created in my image. You're to be a child of life. You're to be about the young. You're to be about the elderly. You're to be about the invalid. You're to care for the, the sick. This is what my people do. We are a culture of life at every stage from conception to the very last breath you breathe and we protect it and we care for it. This is our creator. That's the God we serve. This is the image in which we've been created. He has come that we might have life, life more abundant, even in a fallen world where sickness and disease are rampant, we still impart life. And we fight at every vestige for that life because it matters. It matters. It's not a convenience. It'll reduce our medical costs. Stop it. It's life. These are people. They have families. The most significant time in someone's life is usually at the end. I've seen it. Just to hold a hand and knowing that their heart is still beating blesses you. And you say, there's suffering. We, we have palliative care. God's given us drugs to help with the pain. But we love. It's life. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. This is, this is the joy of knowing a God who is the author and the sustainer of life. Whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Because if you don't, what do you believe? And really, is it worth believing? She said, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Messiah, the son of God who has come into the world, this world riddled with sin, this world riddled with death. And when she said these things, she went her way secretly and called Mary, her sister, saying, the teacher has come and he's calling for you. I want to tell you something. The Lord's calling for you. Martha's saying, God just ministered to the deepest part of my heart and in the confusion that I was struggling with. And, and Mary, you need to hear this and he's calling for you. You know, that's the joy is that we hear the news and we go and we share it. We receive and we go and share. That's what happened at the beach. And so she says, the teacher has come and is calling for you. And as soon as she heard that, she rose quickly and came to him. Come, Jesus says, come unto me, all you who are burdened and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. What are you struggling with? What is breaking your heart? What is so overwhelming that you felt like quitting? God says, I've come to give you life and life more abundant. Now, Jesus had not yet come into the town, but was in the place where Martha had met him. Then the Jews were with her in the house and comforting her. When they saw Mary, that Mary rose up and quickly went out, they followed her saying, she is going to the tomb to weep there. Then when Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet. I love that. Everywhere you look at Mary, she's always at his feet. She's at his feet in abundance. She's at at his feet when her heart's being broken and she's at his feet when she's worshiping. She's always at his feet saying, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. There's the mantra. Martha's like, we, I know, we, I said that too. But wait till you hear what he has to say. This will minister deeply. <laughs> Jesus saw her weeping. 
I want to tell you, Jesus saw her weeping. And this is, this is one of those passages that touches me about the humanity and the deity of Christ being together. It's, it's a mystery. Therefore, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had came with her, they were weeping. Their heart was broken. Her heart was broken. They're all, they love Lazarus. Everyone is just confused. They're burdened. They're crushed. She's weeping. And, and, and this passage says, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. And, and the, the word for groaned is, again, like I said earlier, it's just the, the noise that snorting horse makes. Just like, <laughs> I remember uh, Ken Graves. He's this bulky guy from Maine. He's, he's like, what's the guy from 300? Leonidas, Leonidas yeah, matched with uh, uh, William Shakespeare. That's the combination of Ken Graves. And he comes into a room and all the women are like, oh, this, mm, this is going to be a good sermon today. That's, that's Ken. That's Ken Graves. Hey, how you doing? And, and I was with him going through Israel and we were touring and I showed him a picture, uh, there's a video that I took when my mom was dying when my dad came in with Alzheimer's and, and, and I set the scene, my dad doesn't talk, we weren't sure whether or not to bring him, uh, he'd be confused with Alzheimer's, my mom wanted to say goodbye to him, my dad comes in, I showed Ken the video and my dad starts kissing my mother's mask, this, uh, kissing the mask and steps back and he says, I love you which was miraculous. And I'd asked my mom earlier, what do you miss the most with the disease? She says, dad's humor. My dad's a funny man. Well, backs up, says, I love you. And we all heard it. And then my mother says, Roy, I'm going to heaven. And my dad says, I'll raise you. <laughs> and and when, when Ken saw that, he groaned. <laughs> It was killing him. He was like, he didn't, he, I can't cry here. Oh, I gotta go. I, something, it's tearing me up inside. And this groan just, that was Jesus' groan. And he groaned, he groaned inside and he, he just, and, and at this point, his spirit was troubled. Troubled means he was angry. He was angry. I'm almost finished. I wrote some things down. It was a quiet weeping for him, but he did groan. He was greatly moved. He wasn't out of control. I remember when my, my daughter and I were at a wedding, we said, we're not going to cry because it's not about us, it's about the Lord, and I was going to keep it together. And we did. That was hard. Jesus did not wail loudly, but he, he was deeply grieved. He groaned in the spirit and was troubled. He comes to the scene of Lazarus' tomb, Jesus intensely groaned in the spirit. The ancient Greek word, the phrase is to snort like a horse, which I shared with you. And the verb rem- rendered groan is usually is an unusual one. It signifies a loud, inarticulate noise. And its proper use appears to be, again, the snorting of a horse. But it usually denotes anger. And he was troubled. The phrase is remarkable. It's deliberately summoned up in himself the feelings of indignation that the havoc was wrought by the evil one, what the devil did to mankind, and of tenderness for the mourners who were also weeping. Jesus wasn't so much sad at the scene of the surrounding tomb of Lazarus. It's more accurate to say that Jesus was angry. Jesus was angry and troubled at the destruction and power of the great enemy of humanity, death. Jesus would soon break the dominating power of death. And I, and I close with this idea. He groaned in his spirit. He was troubled. He was angry. He said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, come and see. Jesus wept. And he said, see how much he loved him. 
And we're going to see as he summons them to roll the stone away next week. But I close with this idea. He never meant it to be like this. We've all lost somebody we love or many people we've loved. We've all hurt. We've all experienced disease. We've all had our heart broken. We are all in common that way. He never meant it to be this way. He created us in his image to love him and have a relationship. It was a choice. And like with divorce, when somebody walks out, it is crushing. It is a death blow. It is devastating. It brings death into the marriage. It brings death into the lives of the kids. It brings death, death death but I've come that they might have life and he steps into the the scene of hopelessness and he brings life and he's going to speak the word in this rotting corpse whatever that is in your life whatever rotting corpse that you've given up on he's going to speak life to it it will come forward because he is life and he's angry that mankind has allowed death to affect them in such a way that billions die that marriages are destroyed, that children are evacuated from the womb, that the elderly are taken at their most vulnerable time, this angers him. And he snorts like a horse in frustration at a world that has lost the concept of life. And we are his children. And we are men and women of life. And what he's going to do for Lazarus, he's called us to do for the rest of the world. No matter how hopeless it seems, the word he's given us when spoken properly into a culture will bring life. And that's what we're called to. We are called to life. To raise the stenching corpse of Lazarus so that the world will rejoice as they see face to face the resurrection and the life of the God we have given our life to. Amen? Amen. Lord, thank you for your word. Your brother will rise again. Do you believe this? He is the resurrection, he is the life. Do you believe this? Yes, you, you've repeated the mantra over and over again with all the heartache. That had you only been here, God, had you only done what I needed you to do, but he didn't. Have you given up? Or will you say, Lord, I trust you. I believe you. I want to be a child of life. God, I know your heart breaks and you're weeping too. You never intended it to be this way. God, give me hope and give me faith. Help me, Lord. Strengthen my resolve to serve you, the God of life. Lord, thank you for your word. I pray your blessing and comfort upon all who are present as this message I know affects every heart here. And Lord, as Martha went and got Mary, I know folks are gonna do the same when they leave this room. And our whole job is to bring them to Jesus, the God of life. Bless and strengthen and heal, I pray God, according to your riches in Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.